Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Luke chapter 11, uh, verses uh, 14 through 23. If you're using one of the blue uh, pew Bibles, you will find Luke uh, chapter 11 uh, on page 869. Page 869. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. Now he, that is Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather scatters. Let us pray and ask for God's blessing upon our study this morning. Father God, This is your word, and in it you have revealed to us your Son. And so, Father, we ask this morning that you would give us ears to hear the good news concerning Jesus Christ, that you would give us ears to to hear his instruction to his church, that you would give us hearts to receive his warning and to respond with repentance and faith. Father, may these words not fall upon hard soil this morning, Father, but may they Put down deep roots, and may they bring forth much fruit to the praise of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some decisions that simply can't be deferred. Sometimes not making a decision is the same as making a decision. Sometimes not giving an answer actually is giving an answer. As some of you may know, Sarah and I have been looking for a house that would allow us to accommodate her older sister, something with some kind of an apartment. And as we were looking late last year, as we were checking out the various houses that that met our criteria in uh, the market, we, we were actually given an offer on our own house. Our house wasn't even for sale yet, and yet someone came to us and told us that they wanted to buy it. And it was a good offer. It was a full price offer, and we wanted to accept it. We wanted to accept it because we thought we probably can't do better than this, but we had a problem. We didn't yet have anywhere to go. We hadn't found a house to buy. And when we looked at renting, we found out renting would cost way more than our mortgage. And so we asked our buyers to give us time. We asked them to be patient, which they did. But even though we began to look in earnest, even though we looked at pretty much every house on the market, it seems like, we couldn't find a house to buy. We couldn't find the right house in the right location for the right price. And so... We told our buyers that we were still looking. We asked them to to keep being patient, but eventually they had to move on. Eventually they had to find a place to live themselves. 
And so eventually our non-answer, our ask to defer the question became an answer. It became an answer of no. By not saying yes, we said no. And some decisions are like that. Some decisions just can't be deferred. Sometimes if you don't say yes, then by default, you are necessarily saying no. And this morning, I want you to see that Jesus presents us with a question like that. Jesus presents us with a question that cannot be deferred. Jesus presents himself as Lord and Savior, as the King who has come to die for his people, as the one who has the power to rescue us from the present evil age and to bring us as full citizens into his kingdom, the one who has the power to to give us an inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. However, the decision cannot be deferred. We must decide. We cannot decide later. If If we do not receive him, we... Reject him. If we are not for him, we are against him. And so at the beginning of this new year, as you ponder which resolutions you will make, as you, as you ponder what you will and will not do, whether you're going to keep eating french fries this year or not, whether you're going to start exercising or not, whether you're going to try to save money or not, as you, as you ponder those types of decisions, I want to challenge you to consider the most important question you will ever face. I want to challenge you to to consider this question. Will you receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Will you believe what he has said about himself? And will you rest in the good work that he has done on behalf of his people? Will you believe in him? Will you entrust yourself to him? Will you follow him? Or will you reject him? This is the decision that Jesus told the crowds that they must make. And this is the decision that we, as well, must make. Let's see how this unfolds. Beginning with me at verse 14, we see that the the setting for Jesus' teaching is is an exorcism. We read there in verse 14 that now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. So we have a man who is, is mute, a man who is unable to speak. We don't know much about him. We don't know how old he is. We, we don't know how long he has been this way. But we do know this. We know that his inability to speak is not a mere physical malady. It is not just simply that there is something physically wrong with him. He is mute because he has a spiritual problem. He is mute because he is oppressed and, and held captive by an evil spirit. Now for many people today, this is hard to Except many people today believe that the world we experience through our five senses, the world we can see and and touch, the world we can smell and hear and, and taste, that this world is all that there really is. But the Bible makes it clear to us that this is not the case. There is a spiritual realm, a realm that is every bit as real as the physical world that that we experience with our senses. In fact, in some sense. It is more real. This is why Jesus will say a little later in this gospel that uh, do not fear the man who only has the power to kill your body. If someone can only harm your body, they can't really do anything to you. So don't fear the one who can only kill your body. Fear the one who has the power over your soul. That's the one whom you should fear. Jesus could say this because he understood. He understood that there is a spiritual reality. He understood that there is something worse than bodily death. He understood that there is something better than earthly blessing. 
But if you don't believe that, if you think that this cosmos is all there is, if you're with Carl Sagan on this one, then, then the gospel will never make sense to you. If your greatest concern is for your physical health, if your greatest concern is for material wealth and earthly prosperity, something here and now, then the gospel is simply not the good news that you are looking for. It will not satisfy those types of felt needs. But if you understand the truth, if you know that there is a spiritual reality, if you believe that there truly is something worse than bodily death, that there is truly something better than earthly blessing, then the gospel is the best news imaginable. For the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ is the one who has power. He is the one who has authority. He is the one who has the right to determine the future of our souls. He is the one who can bring us into eternal blessing. Or He is the one who can cast us into hell. He is the judge. The eternal judge. And this is what so many of Jesus' miracles were, were meant to, to show us. That He is the one who has the power over the spiritual realm. This is why He can command the demons. This is why He can cast them out and they have to obey By casting out this demon, Jesus was showing himself to be the one who has power and authority to defeat the spiritual powers of darkness and to establish on earth the kingdom of God. That he is the one who has the right and the power to put right all that is wrong in the cosmos. And he is the one who has the right to invite us into his blessing. It's what the crowds saw. It's what the crowds should have seen in this miracle. But notice... Despite their amazement, not everyone was willing to accept the true significance of what they had seen. Everyone marveled. How could they not? They, they were amazed. A, a mute man, a man who had not spoken in years, was, was now speaking. They could not deny the event. They could not deny what they had seen. And what they had seen was incredible. But nevertheless, despite their Amazement. There were those in the crowd who remained unwilling to receive Jesus, they, to remain unwilling to, to acknowledge him as Lord of Lords and, and King of Kings. They refused to acknowledge him as David's greater son, even as we sung here this morning. They refused to see him as God's appointed Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. Look with me at verse 15. It says, Some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, Beelzebul is a strange name. It's a name that literally means Lord of the Flies. You may have to have, to have read a book by that title at some point in your high school career. It, is, it was originally a derogatory term for the Philistine god. It was sort of a way of mocking Baal, Baal of the Flies. But by Jesus' day, the term had come to be used by the Jews as a way of referring to Satan. The prince of demons. And so don't miss what the crowds are saying here. The crowds, at least some in the crowds, are accusing Jesus of being in league with Satan. That the only reason the demons obey him is because he is one of Satan's generals. He is one of, Jason, uh, uh, one of Satan's uh, minions. And therefore, the other ones have to obey him. It's a bold assertion. Others in the crowd were not quite so bold. They, they weren't ready to receive Jesus as Lord, but they didn't really want to say he was with Satan either. And so they just wanted to defer the question. They, they wanted to uh, sort of wait and, and, and ponder for a little bit longer. They wanted to see more evidence. And so we t- were told that in order to test him, they kept seeking a sign from heaven. They, they wanted to see more. They, they hadn't been given enough evidence 
Now, what they'd seen was a pretty impressive sign. They had seen a mute man now speaking, a mute man set free. And it wasn't just this one sign that they had seen already in this gospel. And in the other gospels, we've, we've read the story of, of countless signs. In fact, John tells us that if all the things that Jesus did were recorded, that it would fill up more books than a library could hold. And so they had seen some pretty impressive signs. And so it's not immediately clear what they are asking for. What kind of sign do they want when they keep asking for a sign from heaven? Well, you know what they're doing. They are like the, the person who, who, no matter how much evidence you show them, they keep saying, well, yeah, but how do you know? How do you know that's true? How do you know that's true? What are your, what are your sources? Now, at some point, that's a good question to ask. You, you want to fact check your, your sources. But at some point, that, that question simply becomes an evasion. At some point, it becomes clear that you're not really after the truth. You're just trying to avoid the question. And that's what is going on here. They, they are seeking a sign, not because they haven't seen enough, not because the evidence isn't overwhelming. They are seeking a sign because they want to avoid the question. And so what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, listen, you're no better than those who outright reject me. We have two groups of people here. We have those who, who say that, that Jesus is in league with Satan, and we have those who say, well, we don't really know yet. We, we need to see more. We need more evidence. But what we'll see is that Jesus responds to both groups pretty much the same. Notice what he says first to the, the first group. Jesus dismisses the first group as just obviously absurd. He says, it is obviously absurd to say that I am in league with Satan. Look at verse 17. He says, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. Now, normally we associate this saying with Abraham Lincoln because Lincoln used it to describe the United States prior to the Civil War. He, he used it to describe the tenuous position of a nation that was half slave and half free. And he wanted people to see that, listen, it can't continue this way forever. A divided house cannot continue to stand. Eventually it will be laid waste. Eventually it will fall. But Lincoln borrowed that image from Jesus. And Jesus used it for other purposes. Jesus used the phrase... To show the absurdity of his opponent's logic. Notice what he says. He says, listen, if one of Satan's servants is casting out Satan's demons, then Satan's house is divided and it is doomed to destruction. It is absurd, therefore, to think that Satan would give such power to one of his servants. It is absurd to think that Satan would allow one of his servants to cast out his own demons and undermine his own kingdom. Surely Satan would not do such a thing. It's, it's ridiculous, and his opponents know it. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Jesus is saying to his opponents, Listen, when your sons cast out demons, you know what it means. You, you recognize it is the power of God at work in and through them. It is, it is God exercising His dominion through them over these evil spirits. You would never assume that when your sons cast out demons that they are doing it by the power of Satan. Why then would you levy such a charge against me? They will be your judges. The fact that you knew what they were doing but denied what I was doing will be your condemnation. So Jesus dismisses this first group as just absurd. It's absurd to say that I am in league with Satan. But I want you to notice that he's no more patient with the second group. Look with me at verse 20. He says, but if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Jesus is saying that His works show beyond reasonable doubt that the kingdom of God has come in and through Him. It's what Jesus has been saying from the beginning of His ministry. From the beginning of His ministry, He has been saying, listen, these scriptures, these promises are fulfilled in Me. I am the Messiah. I am the promised Savior. I am the anointed one who's come to to bring to fruition God's plan of redemption. And these signs prove it. They are the evidence. They are the, the, the picture of who I am. It's the same thing that he said to John the Baptist. Do you remember when, when John was languishing in prison? He had been in prison for, for preaching against Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. And as John languished in prison, he, he began to doubt. He began to wonder, why isn't Jesus doing anything to set me free? If he's the one who's come to set at liberty the captives, why am I here in prison? And so he began to wonder, he began to doubt, and he sent his disciples to Jesus with a question. He said, listen, tell me, are you the one, or should we look for another? Are you the one, Jesus? Are you the anointed one? Are you the Savior? Are you the the promised Lord? And Jesus sent those disciples back to John with these instructions. He said, go and tell them the things you see being done. Go and tell them that the lame are walking. Go and tell them that the blind see. Go and tell them that the mute Speak. Go and tell them the great things that I am doing. Because they testify to me. It's the same thing we see in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Do you remember what he said? He came to Jesus saying, we know who you are. Why? Because only someone coming from God could do the things that you are doing. That's Jesus' point here. Jesus is saying, listen, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then you know that the kingdom of God is here. You know the kingdom of God has come in me. Just as I said, you don't need more evidence. You don't need further proof. Jesus drives this point home with a brief parable in verses 21 and 22. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. I think the point is clear enough. The strong man, the man who is guarding his palace, the strong man is Satan. And so Jesus says, listen, if Satan's palace is being looted, if his goods are being plundered, if if those who he held captive are being liberated, if demons are being cast out, then what do you know? What may you conclude? In fact, what must you conclude? Well, if Satan's goods are being plundered, if, if demons are being cast out, then you know that one stronger than Satan has come. One stronger than Satan has come and has has bound him and is now looting his castle. Jesus is saying that he is the stronger one. He is the one stronger than Satan. He is the one who now has the power and authority to, to loot Satan's good. The evidence speaks for itself. No further proof is needed. And therefore, not to receive him is to reject him. Deferring judgment is not a legitimate option at this point. To defer judgment is tantamount to outright rejection. Jesus does not see these two groups as different. Those who seek a sign may may think that they are not as vulgar or, or as rude as those who accuse Jesus of being in league with Satan. But Jesus sees them as the same. That's what he says in verse 23. He says, listen, whoever is not with me is against me. 
And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And that's the point. That's the point that Jesus wants the crowds to see. It's the point he wants his disciples to see. It's the point he wants us to see here this morning. To defer judgment is to reject Jesus. Not to acknowledge Him as Lord. Not to bow to Him as your King. Not to trust in Him as your Savior. Is to reject Him. Because either He is Lord and Savior or He is not. Either you are for Him or you are against Him. Neutrality is not an option. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us today? How are we going to work this out in the course of our own daily lives? I don't think there are many people today who are attributing Jesus' power to Satan. I don't know of of many people today, at least in our circles, who who think that, that Jesus casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Rather, in our day, the, the way to outright reject Jesus is just really to deny the signs themselves, to deny that he has any power, not to attribute his power to some evil source, but rather to say that his, his power are really a made-up story. They are a legend. They are fiction. I suspect Jesus would dismiss such conclusions with the same disdain that he had for those who said he was in league with Beelzebul. If there's anyone here this morning who believes that these things never happened, I want you to hear simply this. I want you to hear that your position is not as intellectually rigorous as you think it is. People assume that it is intellectually honest to doubt the historicity of the Gospels and that it is somehow naive or or anti-intellectual to read them as history. Even some Christians think this way. Even some Christians say, well, you know, it takes faith to believe the Gospels. As if faith were the opposite of reason. I want you to hear this morning that that is not the case. On the contrary, there is no good reason to doubt Luke's account except for an a priori assumption that the spiritual is not real. The only reason to doubt Luke's account is if you decided before and that supernatural things don't happen. If supernatural things can't be history, then yeah, Luke's gospel shows itself not to be history. But see, the evidence points in the other Direction. The evidence suggests strongly that at least Luke thought of himself as a historian. Luke thought he was writing history. He tells us that in the opening chapters of this gospel. He says, listen, I am here writing a well-researched, orderly account of the things that people saw with their own eyes. I am writing a history of things that actually happened. And it is historical snobbery of the highest order to think that people in the first century couldn't tell the difference. It is Absurd to say, well, people in the first century, they didn't know the difference between myth and legend and, and history. You know, they really couldn't tell the difference. Yes, they could. They knew they knew the difference. And Luke knew at least what he claimed to be writing. So you can't claim that Luke doesn't think he's writing history. Maybe you can claim he's a bad historian. But again, the, the evidence doesn't support you. The evidence doesn't suggest that Luke is a bad historian. In fact, it points in quite the opposite direction. All the facts that we can uh, confirm by other sources demonstrate that Luke gets his history right almost all the time. There are some things that we can't yet confirm. But in the course of the last hundred years, a lot of the things that we thought Luke got wrong, we've actually discovered he got right. And so a time and time again, Luke proves not only to be someone who thinks he's writing history, but he actually proves to be a good historian. He proves to be one who gets his history right. 
And so when Luke tells us that these things happened, when Luke tells us that people saw these things with their own eyes and that they were amazed, the only reason to doubt him is if you have decided beforehand that such things don't happen in the real world, that such things are impossible. And of course, this means that rejecting Jesus because you reject his power, because you reject the stories about his power, is not as intellectually honest as you think. It's not honest to reject the evidence that doesn't fit with your prior assumptions. But rather, true honesty demands that you allow the evidence that is to change the assumptions that you bring to the table. It is not the the wise, but the foolish, who reject the evidence that doesn't fit. So to those who deny Jesus' power, I say, you have no ground to stand on. But as we saw in our passage, that is only one way of rejecting Jesus. One way is just to sort of deny his power, to claim that his his power is is not from God if it exists at all. But there are also those who, who want to defer the question. There are those who want to remain undecided. And in our circles, at least, I think this is by far the majority. There are those who who say, well, you know, maybe one day I'll get around to to deciding about Jesus. One day I'll get around to deciding whether he's going to be Lord of my life. But for now, you know, I'll put that question off until until I've seen more, until I've experienced more of of life. There are some who do this consciously. There are some who are openly and and consciously agnostic. They, they, They say, listen, I just don't know. The evidence isn't enough. They they claim that they, they need more. But again, I say to you that Jesus rejects such a claim. Jesus says that the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus says that he wants you to know that when you reject him, you are rejecting the clear testimony of the facts. And therefore, your rejection is just that. It is rejection. It is not a deferral of the question. It is is not a waiting to decide. But it is a saying, no, I will not be ruled by you. So if you were here this morning and you think of yourself as undecided, I want you to know that you're not. You are not undecided. You have decided against. Because neutrality is not an option. There's still time to change your mind because today is the day of salvation. Until Jesus comes again, there is opportunity for those who have rejected him to repent and to receive the blessings that he brings. But I want you to know that you are not on the fence. You are not undecided. You are firmly in the camp of Jesus' opponents. You have made yourself his enemy and you are subject to his wrath because you have not received him as Lord and Savior. But there is even another way, a a more subtle way of deferring the question. There are, are those who defer the question not with their lips but with their lives. They, they actually say that Jesus is Lord. They actually say they believe the truth about him, but they're not yet willing to live like it's actually true. They, they live as if they don't know yet. They live as if they're still waiting to discover who this Jesus really is. Sometimes it's, it's young people who think they want to experience life before they really commit to a life of obedience. Sometimes it's, it's people in middle age who say, well, you know, the things on me are so pressing right now, I'll get to that in retirement. But wherever you are, whatever the reason, I want you to hear this morning that to defer the question is to reject. 
If you do not live as if Jesus is Lord, if you do not entrust yourself to Him, if you are still seeking your life and the abundance of possessions, if you are still seeking happiness and the, the promotion of your own interest, if you still cherish sin in your heart, if you remain unwilling to deny yourself and follow Jesus in that hard and narrow way, if your lips call Him Lord but your life says otherwise, then you are not undecided. You stand against Him. Jesus says, if you are not for me, you are against me. You cannot be neutral with regard to Christ. And so if you are here this morning and you are among those who openly reject Jesus' claims, I challenge you to consider the evidence again. See that Jesus has shown himself to be the stronger man. He did it by casting out demons, but he did it most emphatically by rising victorious over sin in death. Jesus has shown us who He is. Will you receive Him? And if you are among those who are consciously agnostic, those who, who remain undecided, I give you the same challenge. Look again at the evidence. Consider who Jesus is. Consider what He has done. Consider the facts of history. And consider whether or not you will receive Him or reject Him. And if you are among those who verbally confess Jesus as Lord, but deny who He is by your walk, deny your own profession by the way that you live, then I challenge you to consider the evidence. I challenge you to consider who Jesus has shown Himself to be. And to acknowledge that if you are not willing to live like He is Lord, then you do not believe that He is Lord. No matter what your lips say. And if that is where you find yourself this morning, then I challenge you, resolve even now in humble reliance upon the grace of God, which He freely gives to all who believe in Him. Humble reliance upon that grace, resolve now that you will bring your life in line with your profession. That you will begin to live as one who knows Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. Resolve to live as becomes a follower of of Christ. For Jesus says, there is no third option. Either you are for me or against me. If you are against me, you are subject to my judgment. You are subject to my wrath. But if you will believe in me, if you will follow me, then all of my power is at your disposal for good and not for harm. If you will follow Christ, then he will set you free. If you will follow Christ, then He will give you that blessing that is better than all that this world has to offer. He will give you an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God. Because that is what He offers to those who believe in Him. That's why we call it good news. Do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the clear demonstration of who Jesus Christ is. Forgive us, Father, for suppressing the truth and set us free from our own foolishness. Set us free from the passions of our own willful ignorance. Set us free, Father, to receive and to believe and to walk in the truth that we might know You, that we might know Your blessing, and that we might experience the full joy of Your salvation through Your Son, Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.